Welcome to the Educator Ignited Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Palmas, a wife, mom, educator, and learner addict. I am obsessed with all things improving education, and this podcast is all about proving what's possible in education. If you are hungry to learn about and be inspired by ways in which educators are doing things out of the box, altering the status quo, then you are tuning into the right podcast. We talk to guests who are trailblazers on a transformative journey to change the educational system, extending their impact beyond the boundaries of the classroom. Educators Ignited embodies our shared commitment to igniting a fire within each and every educator, empowering our education community to become catalysts for change. Through the Educators Ignited podcast, we will continue to bring you inspiring stories, thought-provoking discussions, and practical strategies to empower educators worldwide Together, we will light the way for a new era of education where students thrive and teachers are catalysts for innovation. Welcome back, educators. I am just so excited to be back. And I love recording. I love publishing. And I love to be in communication with those of you who are listening. It just means so much to me. And I mention this in a lot of podcast episodes. I mention this when I write me emails, but I do this because I believe so much in what is possible in education. I know that there is so much wrong, but there is so much good from so many of the people that I have interviewed on this podcast to the techniques and stories and strategies shared. There's just so much that inspires me. And I have just set out to take that inspiration and share it with the world. And some people may agree with my inspiration and what I'm inspired by. Some people may not. But that is not going to deter me from staying the course and continuing to believe what is possible. And I think if you know me, you know that I haven't always believed this. In fact, in my first year of teaching, I wrote in my journal that I didn't think I could do this. That first year of teaching was in 2002. And I screwed a lot of things up. I did. But as I've learned over time, I've made a commitment in my life to never do things like I did before, the things that I've learned from, and to continue to make education better. And as I started thinking about my belief, as I started thinking about what I wanted to do and have be possible in education, I did spend a lot of time thinking about what I did wrong. And started taking all of those instances, situations, and journaling them. And what ended up happening is I put them in a book. And the book is called Taught, A Memoir and Educator's Guide to Classroom Transformation and Student Liberation. And the book has three parts in it. The first part is mistakes I've made quite a few, but you don't have to. The second part is humbling moments, but transformative outcomes. And the third part is moving forward. And the book follows a cadence where I tell the story, which many are cringeworthy. That's the best word I can come up for it. And then 
I write a letter to the person or people I did wrong. And then I share in my book things that people can do instead of what I did or the lessons that I learned. And what I wanted to do as I sit here thinking about the fact that I published this book a year ago, I started selling this book a year ago. And in celebration of that, I wanted to read a part of my book to you. And hopefully the letter I share inspires you and allows you to understand, one, what this book means, and two, what this book can do for other educators. I wrote this first story in my initial blog, but I have more to share. And this is chapter 10 of my book, and it's called My Turnaround Story. And I want you to hear it because I want you to hear how much I have learned and how much I have grown. So I'm going to just read this chapter to you and let today's episode be this chapter and give you a taste of taught, which is the shorthand for the book. And yeah, let you just understand, again, my own learning experiences, my own stories. And with that reading, I'm also going to share a couple tidbits that I just believe are so important, especially as we start heading into the school year. And if anything, this is such a powerful chapter for brand new teachers to read. And therefore, I want you to share this episode. I ask you, I implore you to share this episode with a new teacher. And by doing that, I really believe that this is going to support teachers in understanding what teaching entails. So let me start. Chapter 10, my turnaround story. I can't do it. I can't do it. Are you happy now? Those words still ring in my head and hurt my heart. They were the words that changed my teaching philosophy and practices. David was a student who changed my life. I met David in 2008. He was entering fifth grade and being raised by his grandmother. His mom was still in the picture, but was sick and confined to a wheelchair and therefore was unable to care for David. His grandmother worked for the Charlotte Mecklenburg Public Transportation System. And to my surprise, since our school did not have school buses, David, an 11-year-old, would take the public bus to and from school. At the time, in my late 20s, white woman mind, I thought, how could a family do that to their child? I didn't realize until years later that this question was fueled by judgment and unconscious bias. Sadly, that wasn't the only time unconscious bias and judgment crept into my interactions with David and his grandmother. I remember at one point, while in math class, I was reprimanding David for not finishing his homework and told him I would have to call his grandma and let her know he had to stay after school until he completed his work. His grandmother asked to talk to him. I handed him the phone, and he said, Don't make me stay with this woman. If you do, I'm going to run from this school. You would think that would have been a wake-up call for me, but it only added fuel to my fire. I should mention, 
When David entered fifth grade, he had just tested out of receiving special education services. This meant he no longer had access to the legally required accommodations and modifications like extra time, modified homework, and various other ways to support his learning. Nonetheless, his diagnostic scores indicated he still seriously needed support as he was at least three years behind in math and reading, putting him at a second grade level. And while our school did offer some interventions, it wasn't enough. I can recall even more stories of tension with David in ways I looked down on him, his circumstances, and his family. In my mind, whatever was getting in the way of his success never had anything to do with me. After all, my heart was in this. Six years earlier, I had been admitted into a prominent and highly selective organization that was working to dismantle educational inequity. I was the founding math teacher at a school with predominantly Black students. I was passionate, working 12 to 16 hours a day, and I wanted to save the world through education. It wasn't until sometime in the third quarter, that is over six and a half years into my teaching career, that I finally stopped and heard what David had to say about how he was feeling. It took him being vulnerable at the risk of being embarrassed in front of his classmates that I finally listened. I was supervising David and about 20 to 25 other fifth graders in homework detention one afternoon. Imagine having what could be interpreted as the least engaged students and or the students with the highest learning needs all in one space. It was overwhelming, like playing the most challenging game of whack-a-mole. Students asking for help, hands constantly up. Some students just taking the opportunity to play, knowing this would be over at some point and we couldn't keep them there all night. It was most unproductive, and while I didn't and wouldn't have thought to own it at the time, the lack of productivity was because of me. At one point, David had gotten out of his seat after I had already told him multiple times to go back and sit down. I had finally had it. That was my last straw. I remember yelling, full-on college basketball coach yelling, something to the effect of, David, are you kidding me? Sit down now. Do your work now. Do better now. I am sick of sounding like a broken record with you. If you don't sit down, you will be here tomorrow. Tomorrow happened to be a Saturday. Not only was I ready to punish David, apparently I was ready to punish myself. Thinking he would go back to his seat, you can imagine my surprise when I was met with a rebuttal, one that mirrored my tone and also my volume. It wasn't vindictive, hurtful, or angry, but rather pleading. David yelled back, I can't do it. I can't do it. Are you happy now? He threw the work at me. Tears were running down his face. The other students weren't quite sure what to do. The culture of our school was if a student talked back to a teacher, there were consequences. I felt the desire to yell back, but uncharacteristically, I didn't. As I watched David sob and as I looked around the room for a moment, I realized all this time I had been punishing him for being behind, which was not even his fault. I was punishing him for needing help. He wasn't getting out of his seat to be disrespectful. He needed help. He wanted help. And I was not giving it to him. That afternoon, David's grandmother was coming to pick him up. Before she arrived, I knew I owed David an apology. I remember sitting down with him in the classroom next door and simply saying, I am so sorry. 
He was seemingly and rightfully surprised by this and also likely didn't trust it. Seeing him standing there, bearing his truth in front of his classmates, I knew I was in the wrong. I was so caught up in feeling that he was disrespecting me. In reality, I had disrespected him time and time again when all he needed was to be heard and helped. I continued to apologize, trying to ensure he heard and felt my sincerity. We ended up talking for quite a while, and I did everything in my power to ask and listen and share my gratitude for his vulnerability. While the conversation was fruitful, I knew it would take a lot more to earn his and his grandmother's trust. When his grandmother arrived, I also apologized to her, expressing for the sake of David and his education, which was so clearly important to both of them, I would be better. I had to be better. It took time, but I kept my commitment, and within weeks, David was asking to stay after school and getting help. His grandmother and I worked out a schedule, and we made sure David was getting the support he needed both during and after school. Some evenings, he would stay with me until 6 p.m. We would find leftover lunches and make sure he ate dinner. He would complete his homework, and we would work on concepts he still needed to master. The academic time was amazing. The most special time was when he had finished all his work, and we would help put the school back together, cleaning up classrooms, sharpening pencils, and putting away chairs in the cafeterian. Not only did I learn he was and is a very bright student who needed different types of support, I also learned he had one of the biggest hearts. My letter, dear David, that moment in homework detention was a turning point for me as a teacher. I have taken that lesson with me and share it with as many people who need it. When coaching teachers who I see losing their patience with students, I always ask them, could you imagine being a student and not understanding something? I think I would act out too. David, you need to know those last few months of working together, seeing you grow and just learning what an amazing human being you are and likely learn more from you than you ever did from me. You and your grandma taught me that getting on a public bus to travel to and from school is not a sign of neglectful or irresponsible parity. It shows commitment to your education. It shows how much you and your grandma were willing to invest in your education. And it shows your capacity to learn and navigate beyond the four walls of a classroom. I'm not even sure how many adults can take public transportation successfully. I, for one, was not privy or skilled at understanding the complexities. And yet, there you were an 11-year-old navigating Charlotte, North Carolina, and its public transportation system like a pro. Brilliance. You taught me to consider first why a student might be acting out and to give them grace and find ways to understand where they are coming from before they have to blow up to be heard. No student should ever have to do that, and I am so sorry you had to with me. You taught me there is so much to a person's story, and we should never make assumptions about the students we are teaching. Teachers must take the time to get to know their students deeply and never blame students when they enter their classroom behind in their party. Had I taken the time to realize this early on, I often wonder how much more learning would have taken place. You are a source of inspiration to me, and I am so proud to say I know you, and I am grateful to everything you have taught me. Humbly, Miss Adams. Lessons and resources. Check your biases. When you are teaching students, especially those who don't share your background, it is not enough to simply love kids to be a transformational teacher. Early on, my desire to become a teacher was because I loved kids, but I soon learned during my first year of teaching that I loved most kids. 
for instance, when I got my first female student during the later part of my first year of teaching, the boys in my class made it all too clear they could tell I preferred Angela over them. I initially denied it. I eventually realized I did, in fact, treat female students with much more regard. And the first time I had a group of white female students, I treated them even better. I was kinder. I would never think to raise my boys with them. And when we had an issue, we talked about it. That is what bias looks like. We all have bias and it plays out differently for each of us. This is especially true and harmful in school settings. Until I was explicitly told and trained on how to consider my privileges, how to look at my biases head on, I denied those biases existed. One thing that changed this for me was reading Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting Together in the Cafeteria by Beverly Tatum. If you haven't read it, I highly encourage you to do so and quickly. Know and understand your students. When teaching students, it is imperative we get to know, truly know them. I made assumptions about David and his family that only made our relationship more contentious. If we are to truly educate our students, they need to know we value them and see their assets. Be sure to get to know your students and their families deeply. Notice I will never use the term period exclusively unless I know that to be true of a family dynamic because David's family helped reinforce the reality that those who raised us are not necessarily those who birthed us. I challenge you to change your words from exclusively parent to family or families. For example, instead of parent-teacher conferences, be more inclusive and say family-teacher conferences. And finally, be asset-based. Our students might come to us with deficits. Every person has them. We are human. Our students, however, also come to us with even greater strengths, and we have to know what those strengths are beyond just how students learn. In David's story, for instance, I neglected to see his strengths in building friendships as well as navigating the city of Charlotte through the public transportation system. He brought so much with him to school, and when tapped into, he was able to learn so much. That is, again, Chapter 10 of my book, Taught, a Memoir and Educator's Guide to Classroom Transformation Student Liberation. I have a few more turnaround stories in the book as well as how I've moved forward from all the stories I share as a teacher. And honestly, the first part of the book are a lot of lessons learned. Those are not turnaround stories. Those are just stories that clearly show me perpetuating systems of oppression. And I apologize for that. And in this book, as mentioned, I share a story of a student or a class. I write them a letter. And then I share with educators resources to improve your practices. We all have a turnaround story. And if we haven't had ours yet, maybe this podcast, maybe this book, maybe something can help you have that turnaround. Our students deserve it. Education deserves it. It has gotten harder and harder to be an educator my first few years were really hard, but I see it and I know it. Unfortunately, my mindset and heart set has evolved to love it even more than I ever thought I could. And so with that, I celebrate the fact that my book is a year old. I celebrate that my work in education is 21 years old. And I celebrate you, this amazing community of educators who want so badly to make education better. And I know you're doing that. 
and I'm so excited for you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be giving away a few books. So if you haven't gotten a copy of Taught and Memoir and Educator's Guide to Classroom Transformation Student Liberation, it's time. You need to read this. Anyone who has read it has given me raving reviews in terms of how it's really helped them shift their own thinking. And I love being on this journey with you, and I'd love to share this journey with you. Here are a couple ways in which you can get taught in your hands for free. First of all, DM me. Put in the word taught. You're automatically going to be entered into a drawing for this book. Or share this episode on your stories. Let people know they need to listen to Educators Ignited. Tag me at Kelly Pulmus, and you will automatically be entered. I'll hold the drawing at the end of July. but. Until then, know that I am celebrating with my heart and soul the beginning of another new school year. I am celebrating with my heart and soul the new educators that are coming into this world. I am celebrating you, educators who have been in this. We have so much to celebrate and we have so much to give. And now's our chance. Looking forward to coming back at you next week. Again, so many fun interviews that are coming up as well as other coaching episodes that people have been really enjoying. So I will talk to you next week. Until then, keep proving what's possible in education. Wow, another episode in the books. Thank you so much for joining me today and every week on the podcast. So what are you taking away from today's episode? Let me know by heading to Instagram and either commenting on this episode's IG picture or DM me and tell me you listened to the episode and share a little nugget you received. And if you liked this episode and know someone who is on a journey to becoming a better teacher and educator, share this with them. And it might just be the one thing they needed to hear today. Or share this episode in your stories and tag me. All right, my friend, I will be back next week with another episode for more of what's possible in education.